Hello, it's anyone listening. This is Better With You, a podcast built on the idea that something is better when shared with others. I'm your host, Gregory, alongside my co-host, Alex. And each episode, we're going to talk about a media work or works and talk in depth about it with the hope that uh, that makes it a little better. To be honest, this is just a nice excuse to sit down with a friend and talk about something that both of us enjoy or one of us enjoys and the other is unfamiliar with because I've always found that it just makes it more enjoyable. Our inaugural topic today is Shinichiro Watanabe's classic anime masterpiece, Cowboy Bebop. Uh, the anime Cowboy Bebop originally aired in 1998, and it was Shinichiro Watanabe's solo directorial debut. He had worked previously on, I think, Macross Plus was the name of it? I think so, yeah. And he was a co-director. The studio on it was Sunrise, which is still around, but it's an older studio. There's work included on it from series writer Keiko Nobumoto, who... She was the series writer, but not necessarily the writer for every episode. Composer Yoko Kano, um, who's just a really well-known name now, and character designer Toshio Kawamoto, who had worked on Gundam, which was one of the big things that Sunrise had done prior to Cowboy Bebop. And then he's done a lot of stuff like Full Metal Alchemist. I think he's worn mainly with Studio Bones now, because he's done some key animation on Full Metal Alchemist. He was on Space Dandy as well. So a lot of people that sort of came together sunrise at the time and especially on this studio it was a lot of people that were early on in their careers or earlier on that went on to do like really really amazing things the show was critically acclaimed in japan and in the west after being the first anime aired on tsunami in 2001 watanabe was originally given free reign on the show by publisher bandai visual and created a melting pot of an anime inspired by spaghetti westerns hong kong action flicks and noir films yoko kano's music was used to inspire the show and vice versa they talked about in an interview that it was this sort of improvisational playing off of each other. Yoko Kano might write a piece of music that Watanabe never asked for, give it to him, and then that would inspire scenes and stories for the show. And then he would write scenes sometimes, hand them off to her, and that would inspire new music. It's built very much alongside the music, which is a little unusual. Since its airing, it's been hailed as a masterpiece and considered an entry point to anime. And just a brief sort of plot overview for it. In the year 2071, a crew of misfit bounty hunters, Spike Spiegel, Jet Black, Faye Valentine, Edward, and Ayn the Corgi, travel the inner solar system for bounties to get cash and put food on their plates. That's pretty much an intro. Alex, what's your what's your experience with the show? My experience with the show was <laughs> trying to, much like a lot of things, trying to finish it over several years and then finally like sitting down and finishing it because you were like please finish it (laughs) yeah that usually is how it goes (laughs) i always forget that it's 26 episodes long i think of it as a 16 episode long show which is more common now but wasn't then i think you just forget a lot of the episodes 
like stuff sticks out there's a fair amount of filler quote unquote though a lot of it is very important but isn't necessarily like the stories that you remember like right well the the other thing too is that like the story through line of the show is not very present so you only remember some of the standout episodes and then the sort of like important backstory episodes for characters which doesn't sound like we're really singing the praises of the show but like well it's basically it's kind of the structure of the mandalorian you have a pilot that advances like the plot and then you have like a filler episode and then you have like an episode that advances the plot you have episodes that advance the overarching world and plot kind of bring you along and then you have episodes that are more self-contained what's interesting Um, too because it's like in my opinion the structure of it is like sort of what I would consider like basic episodes where they meet a new character, the character has a problem, they solve the problem, or they just have a problem and solve the problem. And then there's more, what I would call like character focus episodes. And like each character gets about three, save for Ayn, the dog. But <laughs> each character gets like three episodes sort of focus on their backstory. And that's really where like, it feels like, oh, this is a mainline, like, episode. But at the same time, like, the overall story is really just, like, Spike's three backstory episodes. Yeah, the main kind of plot of it is, like, Spike's story. But you could you could kind of say that there's, that's, like, kind of like a three, a three-plot story, or more, actually, with, like, each of the individual characters' backstories getting filled in, and their kind of things that are going on at the same time as Spike's. Yeah. But Spike's is definitely the one that drives the show. Right. And that's just because, like, he's more or less the main character. But what I do kind of appreciate about the show is that it really is more of an ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. As much as it's like Spike is sort of the main character because they had to pick one. (laughs) But at the same time, they all sort of get their own focuses to a certain extent. That isn't used as much. But I think that would really sort of draw away from the show. They used her too much. So it's really Spike, Jet, and Faye that get used the most. This show for me is one that I've seen three or four times now all the way through um it's a personal favorite of mine and it's one that necessarily like whenever i think about it i'm like is the show that good like is it is it really out there as my favorite and then i'll sit and watch it i'm like yeah that's it is where it, it so it sort of like settles in the back of your mind but as soon as you start watching it again the experience of it and the stories really sort of come together and you're like oh yeah this this was great this was something really special. I don't know. What are what are the, some of the things that you love about the show? Like just sort of surface level. Well, I, I so I I just finished watching the pilot right before right starting this. I went back and re- rewatched the first episode just to kind of kind of refresh my memory of the. I know, I know the vibe of the show in my head, but actually experiencing it is different. Yeah. It's kind of like what you're saying where you think about it and you're like, was it really that good? And then you watch it and you're like, yes, it was. And it's been like five years since I finished the show. Right. And I've only seen it all the way through once. And I remember absolutely loving it and falling in love with its kind of... We have like the, the things everyone talks about. You have the the score, um, yep. the characters, kind of the, the range of characters each with kind of distinct personalities I and mean, they're just fun to watch as an ensemble they play off of each other very well but also i was struggling a lot watching the the pilot this time that i always viewed the show as a noir and it is to a certain extent it has a lot of noir elements but it's i was struck by how much more western elements i found in watching the pilot again 
yeah for whatever reason that wasn't it's like it's in the title it's cowboy bebop and then i like i think i knew it was there but the noir elements are kind of all the things that stood out to me with the jazz score and the moody shadows and kind of an anti-hero protagonist getting himself into trouble each each week type of deal but the western elements i found really nice and also like a precursor like the, i find actually the show to be a precursor to like the Mandalorian in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, going off of that is that like one of the things that I really love about it is that there's an inherent understanding, at least in the West of all the elements that go in to mix it. Like I don't watch Westerns or Noirs. I've never seen a Hong Kong action flick, but I get it. Like I get the, like I know exactly what it's playing off of, but yeah, there's like a ton of Western in that. And I mean, the thing to me that like makes it a real, western is that it sort of recreates the wild west so it's sort of interesting where it plays off of the like time period and societal like situation around western movies that covers like that brief period of american history but like really we see that again in that like after that like gate incident that essentially like makes earth uninhabitable for the most part and destroys it humanity just like rapidly expands outward into the solar system and inhabits like other planets and planets moons and so you see like this rapid expansion but there's no proper government to like fill that in so a lot of it the world is sort of like ruled by lawlessness and crime like syndicates and bounty hunters and there's this huge reliance on bounty hunters to act as sort of law because there's just not really a police force. Like, the only police force we really see is, I think, on Ganymede, and it's the police force that, that Jet was a part of. But, like, other than that, there's not really a police presence. It's about, like, just trying to capture outlaws. You see, you do see the police in the pilot right. on that planet. I don't remember what it's called. But, yeah, when they're when they're chasing Asimov, you see police cars go by right. as Asimov is, like, waiting to meet up with his buyer. And, and then you get, obviously, like, they're, they're killed by police. Right. Who have, like, set up essentially, like, a blockade in the atmosphere. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I can't think of another time where it's featured prominently. And you kind of get the sense that, like, the police are more present. That they're kind of, that they're on, like, these poorer worlds. But then again, like, not necessarily. It's... It's really interesting, and, like, it's interesting to think about that, like, all these different cultures and all of humanity, like, colonize this new frontier. And I think that's sort of, like, what encapsulates the Wild West. So it's it's more than just, like, a stylistic choice to do old westerns. Like, they really have recreated the situation that built that sort of romantic era we have. So that's one of the things that I sort of marvel at, and especially, like, looking back into it and thinking about, like, I guess sort of what makes the story what it is. It's something like much more felt than ex- expressed, but that sort of new Western. There's a there's a genre, right? Is it what is it called? Like sci-fi Western or space space it's space Western? Space Western. Yeah. Yeah. Sh- yeah. Shows like Firefly would fall into that as well. Yeah, but the the noir aspect I always think of is like Blade Runner. Um, like yeah, watching Blade it Runner. I mean. It takes, I mean, there's like a whole episode that is kind of like alien. Yeah. So that like, it takes, it takes a lot of reference points from, and a lot of cues from Ridley Scott movies, especially from Ridley Scott movies from the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Going off of kind of like what you were saying with like the world and kind of like how it sets up the world and like the feeling of the world. One of the things that struck me that like, I don't remember striking me before in the pilot was essentially like 
the that hyperdrive is like a toll road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's this weird highway system. Yeah, that they like have. through the like eye gate thing. It's basically like hyperspace, but it's like a toll yeah. road. Like they come out of it and then they have to pay a toll. And I thought that that was I don't I don't can't think of seeing something like that in other space science fiction shows. Well, it's cool too because it really gives the sense that we have structures on Earth. And that sort of just got expanded outward. It wasn't necessarily, it's not like this off the wall. Right. It's a system. natural extension of something that we already have. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's interesting when you were talking about how it doesn't, there's not like a strong governmental presence going along with Westerns. Yeah. It is like the, the cowboys are the law or there's like a lone kind of marshal on a planet or whatever. You kind of also get the sense that there's kind of like a corporatocracy kind of system in place where there's a lot of like yeah large companies that effectively act as government and it's weird too because it feels like that changes depending on the planet like there's still more like mars is the most populated Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah you have some that have like and that's the most like earth yeah yeah you have some that have like essentially no connection to like other worlds besides just in knowing about them like there's not like a culture there's not like a cultural like right. transaction between some of the worlds, but you get the sense that kind of like, even if there is a government, it's left these certain planets kind of like to fend for themselves. Right. And it also like gives rise to like the main villain, which is like the syndicate that Spike was a part of. It gives rise to that as like its own form <laughs> of order. So like gangs and, and criminal syndicates basically like become this massive like it seems almost corporate, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. And I think that's really interesting. There was something I saw when I was looking up, when I was, like, doing some research and studying the show, is that in the different planets you can find cities and, like, current day Earth that are sort of analogs for it. So you can find, like, Ganymede is definitely more of, like, a coastal, like, not Mediterranean, but, like, along the ocean front. And there's a lot about that. But then there's some that are, like, more after, like, Delhi or New Delhi and stuff like that where it really, like, the design elements of the structures and the architecture in this series match really well with modern-day cities as well, which I think is really cool. And it goes back to, like, giving that, like, it's a very weird, like, realistic sense in which they can create this show that is a sci-fi and like it's not like a we took earth and changed like one aspect from it but really expanded what makes like culture and earth a thing and and like expanded that outwards and sort of tried to think about well what would that actually look like in like the near future if humanity was forced to expand outwards how how did the cultures and stuff mix which even thinking about cultures and like different peoples is not a thing that anime really does that Shinichiro Watanabe seems to like specialize in. Yeah, it's definitely something that his works have a little bit more of a bend towards exploring. But yeah, you're right. I can't think of like a lot of other anime that blend. I mean, there are, but it it oftentimes tends to be like, like I think of shows like Full Metal Alchemist or Attack on Titan that that have a lot of uh, German influences and mixing. German characters. Attack on Titan especially is kind of interesting because it it does also have like a mixture of like Japanese, American, even like Chinese and German characters just by their last name. But it's not, it's not, it doesn't really explore obviously those cultures. They're just kind of there by name. And this doesn't necessarily like explore them. It's just like the variation on color, 
the variation on culture that is just present in it as like a setting and the amount of different people that you come across and the way that they're animated and the way that it's clear that like these are different peoples is just super interesting to me and Watanabe has been good about including like different people of color like in his or at least implicating that in his works uh, but nothing quite like Cowboy Bebop which obviously like the world allows for that but there's something like really masterfully done about that that no anime has like really tried to do again at least like not as well because I don't know it (laughs) (laughs) it's not a Dota well because I haven't heard of it yeah I mean maybe they did it but it wasn't good (laughs) because if it was good I would have watched it (laughs) god knows I have the time so one of the main themes for the show that I think is really a through line for it, because as many different stories as you get, and each episode is really their own story, except for the case of, like, I think Jupiter Jazz is two parts, and the real folk blues is, like, two parts, but everything else is, like, its own thing. The through line, to me, is always, like, that thematic reckoning with past trauma, because, like, all character episodes focus on this. It is... All the character episodes are characters' backstory, and it comes to the present. So they try and sort of aimlessly move forward is sort of the idea of the show is that they all have this past they really have not accepted or come to terms with in some ways working as a bounty hunter is sort of their way of making ends meet without really addressing what has brought them there um they've tried to leave their previous life basically but their backstory is always it's fills in on what has happened to them up to that point And then somehow it's made present. So the one that I think of the most is Jet's backstory where they go to Ganymede. He visits his old lover who has found a new boyfriend. Her new boyfriend turns out to be some sort of outlaw. I think he killed a man. And he has a bounty on his head. So it's Jet recollecting like this lost love that he had. And then it sort of brought present because she has this new lover that has a bounty on his head and it's like okay well do i go after it and then eventually has to make the decision on whether or not to let them go when i came back home the only thing there was that pocket watch that and a small piece of paper that had just one word written across it farewell for some reason i didn't feel sad or broken up it just didn't seem real but slowly i realized that it was real that you were gone. And little by little, I felt something inside of me go numb. After six months, I made Does a he kind sort of, of relish in a, a sort of revenge on this woman that has hurt him? Or does he let her live a new life as best she can, even if it's not great? Yeah, I mean, I think like what you're saying, like where a lot of the, a lot of the characters in the show whether it's a main character or even just the characters that we meet along, they're oftentimes either reckoning with actions they've made in the past or that, and that can take the form of like running away from past trauma or people that they've wronged and are seeking revenge on them. Or a lot of times the characters in the show are running away from something, whether, whether it's something that happened to them or something that they did. Which is just bounty hunting Um, in general. (laughs) I feel like. Which is, yeah, the bounty hunting kind of genre lends itself to that really well right and i'm going to be talking about the first episode a lot because i didn't have time to watch 26 episodes but also because the first episode of a show if it's good shows you what the show is and the the pilot or first 
episode of Cowboy Bebop is really good, and the fact that it does illustrate, like, the character of Asimov and his girlfriend, whose name... I don't, is she, I don't know if she's named. If she's um, named, it's really in passing. But yeah, so in the first episode, we see Asimov and his girlfriend, who's can't remember if she's named or not, but like Asimov is effectively, I mean, he's running because he's running from the law and is trying right. to find a buyer for, <laughs> for his bloody eye vials. But she is effectively running away from like her raising. Right. She is fantasizing about finally living on Mars and about how great Mars is. And she's fantasizing about how great Mars Mars is and how wonderful it is because it's where all of like the rich people are. And finally, she, she she's going to be one of them. Right. And I know that we eventually get to Mars, and it's it's just more populated. <laughs> well, right, too, and Spice um, even, like, I was born on Mars, and he, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, he's like... it. It's not all it's cracked up to be, but for her, it's this symbol of, like, everything she didn't have growing up. Right. And everything that she felt she was missing in life will be there. And it and it kind of, like, illustrates, because the first episode is, like, is a tragedy. It ends with her realization that she, that they're not going to escape the cops, and so she shoots Asimov. And right. then lets the ship run into the police blockade where they just completely annihilate it and and what meanwhile spike is watching all of this happen from his plane and and it's this tragedy where she she basically took the she realized she took the wrong path right that like she took the wrong path to get there but also like it kind of highlights the tragedy of these types of stories that these characters who are running away from stuff oftentimes can't outrun their past it eventually catches up with them and oftentimes to a tragic like ends well it's the same way with the end of the series like i'm gonna spoil it here sorry it came out in 1998 but that like i love I love Spike's story because I love the way that it ends. I love that he recognizes that his his past has come back. For one thing, like, he can't return to the woman he loves. She's dead. And he has to rise and, and face his past as it is. And he recognizes that it's going to kill him. Because as far as he's concerned, it already has. He tells Faye in, like, the last episode, he's like, one of my eyes is fake. It it sees nothing but the past and the rest of this life that I've lived since then has basically been a dream. It's borrowed time. As far as he's concerned, it already killed him and it's just finishing things off. So he goes in to take as much of the syndicate down with him for the better of humanity and recognizes that he's got nothing left and he'll die. And that's just what rising to meet his past is, unfortunately. But you're the one still tied to the past, Spike. Look at my eyes, Faye. One of them is a fake because I lost it in an accident. Since then, I've been seeing the past in one eye and the present in the other. So I thought I could only see patches of reality, never the whole picture. Don't tell me things like that. You've never told me anything about yourself. There was no hope that he was going to live this life as a bounty hunter. It it was all pretend. And in many ways, that's reflective of of the first episode, even. These sort of dreams that you have. But 
will never come true or you can't last on that because eventually reality comes crashing in yeah it's interesting because the the first episode we see kind of these two characters story end and we get a an idea of their history but we don't fully see that and then by the end of cowboy bebop we're seeing the end of spike's story and it's it it it's interesting that it mirrors it kind of, it does kind of mirror the first episode in a lot of ways both thematically and yeah well that's that's what i love about it too is that like usually it's like a life or death situation which is just like suspenseful writing but usually even with even with jet's backstory i don't know if you remember his backstory sort of finishes when he is going after an assassin for the syndicate that originally he was going after when he was a cop and it turns out that he was like he was set up basically jet was and that's how he loses his arm and a leg instead he was set up by someone in the police force who was consorting with with the syndicate and that guy like the assassin gets jailed eventually and then takes over the jail ship and jet decides he's going to go after it his his ex-partner who turns out to have been the one that set him up and so it's it's always this life or death like it almost kills him to like face this assassin again but he finishes what he started and so that's that's sort of the through line is that like you can go back and you can try and finish what you started but like how much is it going to cost you and them accepting that it might be their death but that like trying to accept your past and die is a lot better than trying to live a fantasy and die. yeah <laughs> eventually because <laughs> that's yeah because that's kind of what is interesting about the about like what you're saying that like in the first episode the asimov those two characters they effectively can't accept their past they can't accept like that their past is a part of them they're running from something they're running trying to get to a better life but taking like like you said the wrong path to it and it kills them yeah but also like but accepting your past might also lead to your death but at least you would be dying with peace yeah and that's i think that's a part of like this really touches on what I love about it, the show is like the character stories and the emotional maturity of the series, which you definitely like don't get in anime as well. And this might be a little more of the time as well. Like anime may have sort of gotten watered down since then and being more like direct. But the dialogue, the way it's directed, none of that is like, this is how you should feel or, you know, there's a lot of subtext in this, which you don't generally get in anime that I think is really yeah, well done. There's a lot that's left up to the facial feature, the facial expressions of the characters, which I think is really interesting. Instead of the show being kind of like, this is how you should feel, using the score especially, yeah. or coming right out and saying it like, this is how you should feel, then it relies a lot on the facial expressions of the characters to kind of tell you how the characters are feeling and then it's kind of like left up to you to how you, how you feel about that. Well, and the subtext and the dialogue too is like ever present in the show, which is like not the case. Like oh, yeah. anime characters always say how they feel. They're like, oh, how could I? And it's all these things. Yeah, and these characters do everything. They say everything. But yeah, and that's of... a little more natural, or at least it's a little more of like a Western style, like live action show that you might get. That's well written, obviously, but you know what I mean. Like it, it's more like there's subtext to that. There's right. there's the emotion is in what's left unsaid or just sort of thematic sort of more metaphorical speaking which is so rare i think that's one of the things that i really appreciate about it is that like there's a lot to enjoy in the series on the surface level but there's a lot of emotional maturity and a lot of times where you'll finish an episode where it's just like 
you sort of just have to let it sink in and see how it makes you feel and like feel things you know what i mean where it's like a lot of like unwinnable situations was that the right thing to do or like boy that sucks like this person tried so hard did the wrong thing and ended up you know like one of the early episodes is that like this sort of spazzy dude wants spike to help him like learn how to fight because he's basically he's stolen from this gang this like special plant that he's gonna try to use to heal his sister of her blindness and he ends up he runs with the wrong crowd he shot too far and he dies it kills him and spike i believe takes the plant to like the hospital and the sister and they're able to cure eyesight but she can never see her brother because he died trying to get that to her and so i think that it's a lot of like tough situations unwinnable situations but a lot of stuff that it's like it's action-packed but in the end it's sad there's a lot of like existential sort of sadness and and a more mature like complication of feelings allowed for in the show than a lot of things i also think the music is just incredibly well done like i don't I don't know, I don't know what else to say other than just, like, the music selections, the music that was composed for it is all incredible. I just think that so much of the emotion of the show and some of the really big moments of the show would not land nearly as well without the the music, which really speaks to that sort of, like, improvisational nature of it, where a lot of it was the music inspiring the show and the show inspiring the music, where they were sort of created together. Because I think about the episodes Jupiter Jazz where I love the song's called Space Lion. It's the song that plays as Gren is flying up towards one of Saturn's moons where he fought in a war and they've sent him up and he's flying as he dies up towards one of Saturn's moons. It's this sort of like jazz piece with this sort of like children vocal chanting and it it's chill inducing. And then the credits roll during that as we just sort of watch the stars and it's incredible. Um, it, it's a similar style done for the final credits for the show where Spike just falls over dead and we sort of just get a really, really long pan up to the stars um, and a song plays there and that it's it's some of the most like emotionally fulfilling because it's so perfect like like yeah something about it because it's somewhat uplifting but also like tear inducing and the other moment i think of is the um i refer to it as the emotional egg eating scene i don't you know if you remember this one this is when they ended up with a ton of eggs and jet hard boils all of them and brings out enough food for four people and a dog, only to find that Ed has left to go live with her dad, Ayn followed, and Faye went back to Earth to sit in where her house used to be, because she finally regained all of her memories. And so 
is this song called uh, Call Me, Call Me that's playing while we see Ed and Faye like leaving on their own. And then it's just shots of Jet and Spike eating all of the eggs on their plate and then switching over and taking the eggs off of everyone else's plates and out of the bowl and just shoveling them down because they're like, we have to eat these. But there's no one left to eat them. And that's also a very emotional scene. <laughs> Does that ring any bells? Do you remember that at all? I don't really remember that part. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long. It has been it's so just long. Like, I, I, just, I just recently rewatched it and that... The scenes still get me. It's like the third or fourth time I've seen the show, and I still cry. Which is, it's not even like a tearjerker of a show. You know what I mean? But something about it, the way that the music, and just like that sort of like complex and complicated way that you feel, that the show makes you feel, I think, comes together and it, it just, it hits you a certain way that like nothing else really does. I mean, I think that's what sticks with people the longest yeah i think how we be bop it like you're saying it, like it crafts these moments with like everything at its disposal because like you're saying like watanabe was given like free reign on the show and the improvisational right. element of the music which like metatextually is like <laughs> so like is so perfect for the show for to have that improvisational like relationship with mm -hmm. the music the main score being jazz or heavily jazz influenced yeah like jazz and blues and how the the yeah and it's interesting when you watch the visuals how the music and the visuals how they play off each other like music like musicians would at a jazz yeah. club they kind of hand off elements to each other at times like just the way that like i don't know like a hi-hat will highlight a punch or will yeah. like happen right before a punch like the way that those things happen together or in parallel with one another is i think that goes it does so much to kind of put you in this world i mean the music is as much the world as the visuals are and that's why i think that it can create these moments with literally everything at its disposal and the music is very global as well like you hear a lot of different voices a lot of different style of music and that fits with the show so well mm -hmm. is that for everything everywhere that the show goes like the music follows and it does not try and create like a single sounded soundtrack to the show and i think you'd be amazed by how much of the show you can remember if you just listen to the soundtrack oh yeah and i think that speaks to it a lot the soundtrack's on spotify that it got put up recently it's like in a playlist and you can listen to it and it, it just those songs man those songs get me it's also very 90s but <laughs> like some of the songs are very 90s yeah i think like talking about Gren as a character when also talking about how diverse the show is. Yeah. The fact that an anime from the 90s has a transgender character in it, or at least a intersex character. This might be why it is... I might use the wrong terms for these things, but I think, like, that is always something that struck me about the show, because it's not something you see in anime, especially, treat it, especially treating those characters with subtlety and nuance. I feel like. Well, especially too, in the same episode, Faye walks in on two dudes banging each other. Um, yeah. I think that's in the same episodes. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing that like, that's such a huge taboo in Japan. And like, it would still be weird to see that, like, that's not even shown in anime today. 
you know, some 20 years later. And yeah, I think, I think it's very forward thinking. It's weird because it takes so much inspiration from the past, but I think it's so forward thinking in that it really, it goes along with trying to think of like, well, what would humanity look like having expanded out? What will it look like in 2077 or 2071? Like, what does that look like even like socially, those sort of aspects. And it's like, no, that like, it, it really tries to do all things. And I think you get a real viewpoint from Watanabe that like, just like the show sort of, it's lawlessness is like everything is viable or acceptable. Everything is, is I, I think that goes a lot further than just, I think that really is a worldview that he appears to have is that like, no, like, every everything goes. Well, it's like, it, it's kind of like in, you oftentimes see in these stories about that are like Wild West inspired or noir inspired, and it's that these characters live on the fringe because it allows them freedoms that they normally wouldn't have. Yeah. It allows them to do things their way. It allows them to kind of like act as their their own moral compass rather than having something else kind of saying it, telling you what's right and wrong. And... You see in, the, in these types of stories, these characters, they like living on that edge where they have that ability to do that. And I think in a world like Cowboy Bebop that wants to not be created with Cowboy Bebop, that's true for crimes, but it's also true for how people are now allowed to express themselves. And while the character of Gren, it was not his choice. Right to become intersex it was put upon him that what happened to him allows he is gender fluid in the show right and it's not like he views it as something that hampers him no not or at them all. it's not something that is they view as a negative aspect to themselves it's something that happened to them and they see actual benefits from it it allows them to it allows them to relate to Faye. Yeah. In a way that other male characters in the show do not. And it allows, it, it just allows them to express aspects of themselves that they normally wouldn't have been able to. Right. And while there is that kind of like, quote unquote, tragic backstory where this was a punishment to him, it doesn't end up really being a punishment to them in the end. No. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, because they're, they're much more concerned about like, what the war did to them and what it's a lot more about their relationship to vicious in the show that is the more tragic to them right than what actually happened like that that's sort of like ancillary almost right it, they kind of take ownership of it right. and it's well like from vicious vicious's perspective it's a punishment on gran it's right ends up just becoming a part of them and becoming an aspect of their life that they live with and they can utilize and experience life in different ways. And I think it's so, like you were saying, like it, it's so interesting how this show made in the 90s in Japan when there transgender characters and intersex, especially like the term intersex was not used to describe characters in mainstream media okay. really at all unless they were like it, unless it was kind of a stereotypical kind of like caricature mm -hmm. of it 
lacking uh, an understanding or an empathy. And this show has extreme empathy for, I think, the character of Gran. Absolutely. It has empathy for all of its characters, even its villains to a certain extent. Yeah. But, and I think it pulls it off like so well and i think because netflix is doing a live action yeah cowboy bebop they cast a they cast a non-binary actor i was gonna say that to play gran and i think like wow i'm <laughs> don't necessarily feel like we need a uh, cowboy bebop live action <laughs> i probably won't even watch it <laughs> <laughs> i um i think it the fact that they didn't miss that opportunity to actually cast someone who can fully inhabit that character and fully give that character the attention that it needs is great. And for anybody that watches it, it's going to be like, it's going to be a huge, it's a huge plus to that show, (laughs) in my opinion. I think the casting has been really well done for that show in general. Yeah, from what I've seen. From what I've seen. Like, they've really been conscientious about it. I also think the casting in the original show. Did, have you? Did you watch the subbed or the dubbed? I watched sub. Okay, I've seen. I think I, I think I watched sub. I've seen both. It's hard because the dub is really good. I still prefer Steve Bloom's voice acting for Spike over like anything else, and everyone else is good. Faye's voice actress in this in the original Japanese is amazing though, <laughs> like really good. Yeah. That was something I had not watched it um, in the original Japanese before up until this last time that I watched it. Mm. And there's just something like the voice acting is really good. I just I love Steen Bloom's voice. So it's kind of hard to like not see him as Spike. It's so synonymous to me with that character. I like Jet's Japanese voice actor as well. I think he's really good. Yes. Go listen to the, the soundtrack on Spotify. Like you, anyone listening, the void that we're speaking to. <laughs> Go, go listen to the soundtrack on Spotify. It's just, it's phenomenal. And I, I keep going back to it. And if you've seen the show, like you really will, all of those moments will come flooding back because they're so tied together. I don't, is there anything else you want to say about the show? Anything else that, that sort of sticks out to you? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, other than like, I think I'm, <laughs> after watching the pilot, I'm going to go back and rewatch it. You absolutely should. Yeah. I, it's one of those things where like you, you start watching it and you're like, oh yeah. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> you know, like, you, like yeah. I forgot yeah, you like don't... how good it is, and it's never that like I doubted its quality, but like it's when you don't watch it for five ish years, and then you go back to it and you're like, oh, yeah, I like right back in it. Well, I always say that it's like it's one of my top six anime. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always like it's the one that I always go back. I'm like, is it really one of my favorites? And then I have to watch it again, and I'm like, oh yeah, of course it is. Like, how could it not be? And that's that's the biggest thing. And part of it is because it's like so cliche to be like, oh yeah, it's Cowboy Bebop is my favorite anime. And I don't know that it's necessarily like my favorite, but it's so hard to like not have that up there. And Samurai Champloo is also one of my top favorites, which is um, Watanabe's next solo directed. Yeah, work. Samurai Champloo um, he, is really good. He did a lot of other stuff in between, um, in between that, but like nothing serious or big. Um, Samurai Champloo was his next. His next main thing, which has a lot of similar themes. But I think sort of to conclude this, I was trying to think of something that's sort of worth saying to wrap it up and something that we can take away from it. And to me, it really is that thematic through line of the importance of reckoning and coming to terms with your past. And I think there's something to be learned about that in today's world, especially given the past few weeks in America and Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday and that we experienced this past week. It's, it's, I think so much of us have been trying to ignore 
the past and like live in this dream as though like oh we can move on it's totally fine but it eventually comes back and comes crashing in and so for many of us we've been living in this dream and i think america i think our past has really come crashing back into us recently and now it's sort of up to us whether we rise and face it or let it destroy us because i think our options are to try and like do we we have to to face what made us who we are the good and the bad and to try and reckon with that instead of just trying to build this flimsy dream that isn't even that great for everyone so i think that's something to take away from cowboy bebop or something that really stuck with me when i was thinking about it the past couple weeks and on that note we sort of would like to finish off each episode with just a recommendation from each of us. This is something that we're enjoying at the moment or have just recently enjoyed and just want to recommend to anyone listening, hey, check this out. It's totally possible that it will be a topic in the future. So maybe you can keep up to date with what we're doing or you can do a little bit of studying, so be more involved in the conversation next time. Yeah, uh, Alex, why don't you go first? What's your recommendation for this week? I've gone through a few different recommendations that I've had. I've been reading a bunch of Star Wars comics. I've been reading, started reading more Star Wars, like the canon, like extended universe books. Right. And I was, I was thinking of talking about that, but I just realized that something that I do really want to be a future episode and so like my recommendation is for everybody to watch haunting of bly manor and really i'm positive like the majority of people who listen to this if people listen to this is probably probably have a lot of people have watched it a lot of people watch haunting of hill house a lot of people watch bly manor and I think Blind Manor ended up being something different than what people expected, but mm-hmm. I've now re- I've rewatched I've watched it twice now, and it is like I don't know. It's my favorite thing in the horror genre. I think really it is. It's like everything I like about horror, especially like gothic horror. It nails thematically and uh, I don't know I don't want to talk too much about it but that is my recommendation is if you haven't seen it is to watch uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor and I don't think you've seen it Greg so I have not yeah, if no. we were to do an episode on it you would have to watch all of it but I, I think that is a show uh, that's fair I mean I'm that's like... a show that I would I would definitely want to talk about on an on an upcoming episode awesome so I I had a number of options that I was trying to think about today trying to come up with my recommendations and i just figured since we were talking about an anime i would recommend another one uh, one that's in a totally different vein it is an anime that's new this season that i am a huge fan of and that's jujutsu kaisen yeah it's really popular at the moment but it's really really good i love the way that it's animated i really enjoy the story and all of the characters i think it's a shonen it's a typical shonen anime but it sort of subverts it in a lot of ways I won't go too much into it. I also, after watching like the first 10 episodes, went and got caught up on the manga, which I also highly recommend. The art is really, really good. And the anime so far, the art and the animation and the story, all very true to the manga. It's it's 
really, really good and very refreshing and fun, and I like that it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's, like, really serious at times, but it's intercut with just, like, a lot of sort of, like, fun in the way that it's animated and the characters without feeling hokey or, like, awful. So Jujutsu Kaisen is, is my recommendation, and Alex, I know I recommended that to you a couple weeks ago, and you watched it, so... I've watched the first two episodes, and, yeah, it is... It's the first anime I've watched in a while where I was just like immediately hooked into the premise, into the tone, into the characters. The tone is definitely something I just like connected with. It hit me, it's, it hits me right in the perfect spot. Right. I think it nails that balance yeah. between sort of anime goofiness while also being like a very serious and action-packed like shown in anime. It is laugh out loud funny sometimes and then also horrifying yeah. at times. <laughs> like yeah. terror inducing at times and also just laugh out loud goofy. Yeah. So if anyone is listening to this and they have not checked that out, I would highly recommend it. That could definitely end up being something that we talk about in the future as well. On that note, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Yeah. If you're listening to this, thank you, Void, for being there. We will keep shouting out into you for the time being. You can follow us on Twitter at, at betterwithyou2, which is kind of a cute name because you can follow us on Twitter and get more involved with us because things are better with you too. More accurately, though, it's because that was the closest to the username that we could take. So, because Better um, With You was taken. <laughs> better With You was taken. And Better With You pod is too long. So follow us on Twitter. Though, so if you're on Spotify, make sure to follow us. I, I don't really know how it works, but follow us and, and keep listening. We really appreciate it if you're listening, and we hope you're out there. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for experiencing this. This is... It's been great. I feel like this was definitely better for having done this. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I didn't come up with a sign-off. That's okay. I think that's our sign-off. <laughs> <laughs>